sometimes I say this and it gets repetitive, but uh, that's all right. It's good for us. What you receive has more to do with you than it does with me. That's good news for you. That's good news for me. I have to prepare. I have to get ready. Whoever it is that's delivering the word. But you can receive everything that God intends for you to receive, but it depends on how much you want it. It depends on whether or not you want to believe God for it. So are you going to believe God with me this morning that he will expound some things to us from the word of God? Amen. Mark chapter 6. Then he went out from there and came to his own country. Everybody say his own hometown. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. You know, last week I talked about the path of least resistance. And we used... Uh, the analogy or the scripture over in John where uh, the disciples were fishing and they had not caught anything and Jesus commanded them to go out. and So we went through all that. And, and as I was praying about this week, I felt like the Lord said, I want, I want to teach a little bit more along these lines. And I want to give you, the, so this is the path of least resistance part two. And I want you to understand something that this, this passage right here, there, there's so much that is inside of this that there's no possible way we're going to get to all of it today. But I want to give you some highlights. I want to give you some things that prevented Jesus' own hometown from receiving mighty works. How many of you want mighty works done in your life? How many of you want to do mighty works? Well, there are some principles that we can find by observing Jesus' knuckleheaded, I'm sorry, the people that he grew up with, the people that were in his own hometown, the people that know him. You understand what I'm, what I'm getting at? These people knew Jesus. They grew up around Jesus. He grew up around them. He was a carpenter. He was the son of Mary, the son of Joseph. They knew who he was. And Jesus stands up and he begins to teach and they marveled. I said, is this, this is the carpenter. This is the son of Mary. We know that and they became offended at him. And it says that he could do no mighty works except he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. Sometimes in our society, that is considered a mighty work. What kind of mighty works did Jesus do? Turn the water into wine? Raise dead people? Cast demons out? But it says he couldn't do none of that there, because that was a mighty work. The only thing he could do was lay his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. Why? Why is it that the very person, the very incarnate God himself, Jesus Christ, manifested in the flesh, they surely they knew who he was, they knew he was the Messiah, but why could they not receive anything from him? I'm going I'm to show you. Number one, 
It says in verse 3, is this not the carpenter? You know, resistance always comes from responding and relating to things in the flesh rather than in the spirit. I'm going to say that again. Resistance to God moving and operating in our life in any area always comes when we begin to see things through only the natural eye. And we don't think, see things through the spiritual. Well, if, if all you do, if all you see church on Sunday mornings is through the natural eye, you'll never receive a mighty work and a breakthrough in your life because, you, because you're not looking at it the right way. Just like the woman with, that was at the well. She could, only, she could only associate what Jesus was saying through a natural example. And Jesus said, woman, if you knew who you were talking to, You'd ask me for water. And the water that I give, that my father gives, not only will you not thirst again, but it'd be like a fountain of water coming out of you. You and I have to understand, and we cannot always look at things just in the natural. We live in the natural. How many of you know that we are in the world, that the Bible says that we are not of the world? We look too much to the flesh. We look too much to this to dictate how we feel about any given situation, especially spiritual things. Well, if I don't feel like worshiping, I ain't going to worship. If I don't feel like giving, I ain't going to give. If I don't feel healed, then I must not be healed. And Jesus is trying to teach us, he's trying to demonstrate us, give to us principles that will help us rise above those things and begin to see things like we need to see them. They couldn't do, they, there was nothing they could do, there was nothing that Jesus could do. He could do no mighty works. Why? Because they couldn't look past the fact that it was Jesus, the son of Mary. And many scholars believe that the reason why they said the son of Mary instead the son of Joseph, as was accustomed to refer to someone as the son of, my dad's name is Larry, the son of Larry. Instead, they referred to him as the son of Mary, as a, almost like an insult. Who is this? The son of Mary. I want you to understand something. They knew, the, the, uh, they acknowledged the wisdom and spiritual insight that he had. They weren't totally just completely oblivious and ignorant to what he was saying. Listen to what they said. And they marveled. They were astonished, one translation says, saying, where did this man, they wouldn't even acknowledge Jesus. They just said, this man. Are you seeing what's going on here? They were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? They knew the wisdom that was coming out of him. They were a marvel. They were astonished at it, but they couldn't get past the fact that it was coming from a carpenter, the son of Mary. Wisdom is what I wrote down. Wisdom, spiritual insight, Confident understanding, even miracles, because he performed miracles, are still not enough to receive mighty works in our lives. If all we're going to do is see things from the natural eye, we're never going to see the miracles that we want. We're never going to see the miracles in our own life. The miracles are going to happen. Things are going to take place in this earth. The kingdom of God will be expanded throughout all the earth, but you and I will just be left out unless we begin to see through the spiritual eyes and not just the natural eyes. Jesus, in the flesh, was teaching, and they couldn't receive anything from him. Why? 
because all they could relate to him was in the flesh. What was the difference between those, those folks and the Samaritan woman we talked about a while ago? What was the difference? She acknowledged what he was saying and received it and accepted it and began to see with spiritual eyes to such a degree that John 4, later on down in verse 22, 23, began to say that she began to go and tell everybody about the Messiah. The very woman that he shouldn't have been talking to. Because it was wrong. Culturally, culturally, it was wrong. And the disciples were astonished. What are you doing talking to that woman? I read this commentary and I wrote it down because I wanted to say this to all the women. But really I wanted to say it to anyone and any, any, any person who has ever felt inferior, less than perfect, which by the way is all of us. How many of you know a whole lot of less than perfect and a little less than perfect is still what? Less than perfect. First place is first place. Second place is just first place loser, right? Isn't that what they say? When, the, when it comes to perfection, it doesn't matter how close you are to perfection, you're still not perfect. But the world and religion wants us to measure our imperfections. And if you have more imperfections, listen, if you have more imperfections than me, then I'm a little more worthy than you are. If we filled this room, if this room... Okay, if we let a bunch of cows come in here for a whole week, are you, you, you going with me on this? Just picture it, smell it. Can you smell it? If we let a bunch of cows in here for an entire week and then we came back next Sunday, what would it look like? What would it smell like? Would it really matter how much cologne I had on? Would it really matter how dressed up I was? No. Everybody and everything would still smell like cows. Perfection is not attainable in and of yourself. It's only attainable through the blood of Jesus. And this is what I like about this. It says, considering, number one, that the ongoing contempt of Jesus for the Samaritans, number two, the reputation of women, and number three, the cultural restrictions of male and female interaction. This scenario becomes a classic lesson in God's redemptive action. Jesus initiated forgiveness and restored and empowered a woman who persuaded men to heed a Jewish Messiah. Our Savior's grace seen in this woman of Samaria illustrates how past or covert prejudices, beliefs, practices, and exposures need not confine nor destroy the potential of a person. You listen to that? It doesn't matter what you've done. A transformed woman became a great evangelistic influence, and many Samaritans responded to Jesus as a result of this one woman. One day we'll get to the fact that despite everything that's happened in our life, Jesus wants to use us. Jesus wants to use Muslims. I know that's probably not politically correct. Do you know there's more Muslims being born again today than any time in history? Why do you think that we have so much going on in the world today? 
Because the enemy wakes up every morning and he is nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs because he knows that, the, that his enemies, which are you and me, are coming after him with vengeance. Because he's already been defeated. And he, 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 rocks, he walks about like a roaring lion in fear to, because he doesn't want to come up on someone who knows that the keys of death, hell, and grave has already been taken away and all authority has been taken away from him. The shootings that have taken place in Dallas. Why? It's a distraction. That's all it is. It's a distraction to take away from the fact of what the gospel is doing throughout the earth. Why is everything going, in, going on in Turkey like it is? Because the enemy does not like what's going on. That's what our part is to step in and to begin to pray. And to begin to understand that we carry the answer. We carry the authority. But you and I will never step in to everything that God has for us if all we're going to see is through the eyes of the flesh. All this stuff going on in the natural, it's a distraction. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You really think for one minute that we're wrestling against Muslims? Do you think that the... Do you really think that the battle is between white and black? Asian and American? Islam and Christianity? I got my little preaching corner over here. You know what it's about? It's about light and darkness. Darkness can't cannot penetrate light. So it goes where there is no light. But the more light we take to these places, the more darkness has to flee. But you and I will never step in to everything that God's called us to do if we don't begin to recognize and see things from a spiritual perspective rather than a fleshly perspective. Oh, I'm thirsty. Well, you don't have nothing to dip water with. And Jesus said, woman, So the Lord wakes you up in the middle of the night and says, pray. And you go, well, what difference will it make? Because you're seeing things through the natural. My Bible says that the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man, are you righteous? Are you righteous? Because you feel righteous or because he made you righteous? My Bible says the fervent, effectual, amplified, fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. I just heard the Lord say, you ain't making, you ain't making the power available. See, we got on a conversation last night about prayer. We started talking about prayer. The Bible tells us to do a lot of things. It says to pray without ceasing. I mean, my gosh, I'm wore out just thinking. Well, we got to talk, and I'm wore out just thinking about all the stuff we got to pray about. And then I remember Romans chapter 8. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God. See, we ought to be led in our lives by what we pray and by how we act and by how we respond. These folks in Jesus' hometown... They weren't being led. They weren't even recognizing who it was that stands before them. If you and I want to see mighty works in the natural, then we're going to have to start looking to the spiritual and not with the natural. Number two, what happens, what happens when you see things only from a natural perspective? What happens? Verse 
the middle part of verse 2. Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is that which he's given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hand? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James? And the end of verse 3 says, so they were offended at him. Let, let me read it to you from, the, uh, from, a, from a different translation. I like what the Amplified Version says. It says, and they took offense at him and were hurt. That is, they disapproved of him and it hindered them from acknowledging his authority and they were caused to stumble and fall. Resistance always comes when we become and we take an offense. Why did they not receive what Jesus had to say? Because they were offended at him. Why were they offended? Jesus didn't do nothing. Why were they offended at him? Listen to what they said. Who is this man? Where did he get these things? And what wisdom is that which is given to him? The jealous. That sounds very familiar to me. Wasn't it Lucifer that said, I will be like God? Because he was jealous of what God had? Wasn't it Lucifer, wasn't it Satan, that old scoundrel, the devil, that came up to Eve and said, God knows that when you eat of this fruit, you will be just like him. We were already just like him. Resistance always comes when we begin to see people through the natural. Why? Because when you and I see people through the natural, we open the doorway for the flesh to become, to, to present to us marvelous opportunities to take an offense. Who is this man preaching all this stuff? I know him. Who do you think you are? You hear it? That's what they said. And that's why they couldn't receive anything because they became offended. They took an offense. The word offense is literally the trigger of a trap. It's, uh, it's the mechanism that you sit the bait on, and when you reach for that bait, you're done. It's got you. And creates a negative cause and effect relationship, puts it into motion. In the Greek, it literally means to scandalize, to cause a person to begin to, dis listen to this, to begin to distrust and desert one whom they ought to trust and obey, to cause to fall away, to be offended in a person. To see in another what I disprove of and what hinders me from acknowledging his authority to cause one to judge unfavorably or unjustly of another. Is that not what they did to Jesus? Who is this man? They get in the court case ready. Who is this man? Who is this man that teaches these things? I mean, what wisdom? I mean, they weren't ignorant of the wisdom. And that you can't argue with results. It's really hard to argue with results. Jesus was already preaching and teaching and healing. They saw it. So what was it? They became offended. They took an offense against him because they began to judge him based upon his flesh rather than his calling. Oh, that was good. What people in your life are you judging based on the flesh rather than what God's called them to do? Your parents? Husbands? Are you judging your wife because she's called to be your helpmate? And so you judge her and you take a, 
an offense with her because she's trying to help you? Wives, are you offended? Are you taking an offense at your husband because he's always telling you what to do? He's trying to put his foot down, trying to make you do something? Are you being offended? Are you taking an offense? Here's the, here's, I'm going to let you in on a big secret. You ready? Can't nobody make you offended. They can't. Oh, I can present marvelous opportunities to you to be offended at me, but I can't make you take that offense. Well, you just don't know what they've done. You know what I remember? It really don't matter what you think or what you've done or what I've done. It really don't matter. I remember when that man was on the cross and he looked at the very people that were giving him marvelous opportunities to be offended. And what did Jesus say? Hurting, bleeding, and dying. He said, Father, forgive him. Mighty works are never going to be accomplished when all we see is the natural because the natural causes us to be prone to become jealous, to become envious, to become selfish, and we resist the anointing. See, the anointing works only if you allow it to work in your life. How come you can have a room full of people and some of them get healed and some of them don't? Some of them get ministered to and some of them don't. How can you go to a Billy Graham conference and half the people get born again and the other half doesn't? Because it's not about that. It's about when the Holy Spirit presses upon your heart, what you do with it makes a difference. Jesus showed up and began to teach and began to show. You don't think that Jesus wanted to help His own people? You don't think that Jesus wanted to minister to the people that he grew up with? You don't think that he wanted to heal them? You don't think that he wanted to see their life come to something better and greater than what they had always seen? You don't think he had a passion for that? But why didn't he? Why couldn't he? Because they were offended at him. Because they were saying, well, who is this man? I've known this guy all my life. My gosh, he's just a carpenter. I read one commentator that says it doesn't take much to offend this generation. When we allow an offense to come, then we begin to judge unfavorably with a wicked perception of judgment. Listen to me. People will always let you down. But God will never let you down. But, everybody say but. God uses people. And if you and I are going to see mighty works then we've got to resist the temptation to take an offense. I don't have time to go into that detail, but I'm just, just listen to me for a second. It doesn't matter. You and I, it doesn't matter how much we want to go into our own little prayer closet and seclude ourselves from everybody else in the world, and it's just me and you, Jesus, just me and you, Jesus. That ain't going to happen. Ain't it? It ain't. Why? Because Jesus put us on this earth to work together. There was only one man who could accomplish everything that he could accomplish by himself, and that was Jesus. But even Jesus did it with the work of the Holy Spirit. And even Jesus, listen to me, you're gonna have a, you might have a hard time swallowing this, but listen to me. Jesus himself could not do what we do as a team. Because if he could have done it, and if it was God's will for him to have done it, he would have done it. The kingdom of God is a family. God created us to work together as a family. And Ephesians says that every joint supplies. Stop 
getting bitter and angry or resentful or frustrated at somebody else's part because you don't have that part. You got your part. And if you don't bring your part because you're worried about somebody else's part, then all the parts ain't working together and they just... I can't do... Lord knows I can't do what Miss Geneva does. I couldn't be up there at school with all them youngins. I could if he called me to, but he didn't. He called her. What are you, what, what are you doing in your life? What has God gifted you to do? Because you are the only one that can do that because God's called you to do it. Now, if you won't do it, he'll get somebody else to come do it. But his intent, his heart, his plan from the foundation of the earth was for you to do it. All this that goes on on church on Sunday mornings, I assure you, does not happen because of me. I don't have enough time in the day nor enough energy in my body to do what all needs to take place to make sure that everything functions the way it functions. You know what does? Make it happen? You. What would make it happen? What would cause us to go to another level? What would cause us to function better for the kingdom of God? If you're not using your giftedness now, we need your giftedness. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. Now you go in my name. He gave us a commission to go. But you and I will never go, we'll never do what God's called us to do unless we understand that we're going to be working alongside people. And people, y'all flawed. We're flawed in the flesh. Listen to me. We're flawed in the flesh. We're not flawed in the spirit. That's why we can't just keep looking at each other in the flesh. We got to see each other for our gifts and the spiritual gifting that God's given us. Because if we see each other through the eyes of Jesus, we won't get mad when she don't look at me. Well, I text Michelle and told her we had that meeting and she didn't call me back. So what I do? I took an offense. But I didn't know that her phone was dead because it got flushed down the drain. You see what I'm saying? And that's what happened with Jesus. He comes to bring life to his own people, and they rejected him. Why? Number one, because they saw him from the natural eye. Number two, because of that, they began to get offended. You ready for number three? What happens? What happens when we get offended? What if, if offense is the trigger of the trap, what is the bait? A carpenter. They couldn't believe that this stuff was coming out of the guy that they knew that probably, you know, roofed up their house, fixed something at their house, and now he says he's the Messiah? Man, I knew this. I knew you growing up. I knew you growing up, and now you're a connect group pastor? Man, I, I went to school with you. I know who you are. And now you're you singing up there on the praise and worship team like you didn't do nothing. I know what you did. I know you. I grew up with you. And now all of a sudden you're called to the ministry and you're a pastor? I get that one a lot. Why? Because, listen, you're never going to receive anything from me until you see me beyond me and see what God's called me to do. I'm never going to receive anything from you. I'm never going to receive it from you, Mama Cleveland, if I don't look beyond the natural and see what's inside of her as the gift that God's put inside of her, as an elder, 
as a woman of wisdom. I'm never going to receive that unless we receive it by looking through the eyes of the Spirit. So what happens when you do that? You take an offense. You see people from the natural. You take an offense. What happens? Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. The word honor is respect, reverence. It's a mark or a token of favor. It's a reward. It's compensation. It's that which is paid in honor of another's work. It's giving value and price to something. Jesus said that a prophet gets no value, gets no honor, gets no respect in his own hometown. Resistance always comes when we fail to honor that which God wants us to honor. Resistance always comes when we fail to give honor to whom honor is due. Honor honor is such a big deal with the Lord that He said, if you will humble yourself, that I will honor you in due time. God desires to honor us. We don't want to honor ourselves, but God desires to honor us. But we think that if we honor somebody, we're stroking their ego. I'm not talking about flattery. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about honor. It's such a big deal that Jesus, Jesus, listen to me, Jesus didn't say they referenced me as the son of Mary. Jesus said the problem wasn't that, I'm getting to somewhere here now, listen to me. He didn't say the problem was that they only saw me as a carpenter. He didn't say that was the problem, although it was. It led to a bigger problem. They began to be offended with him. Jesus didn't say, I could do no work in that work because of their offense. What did he say? He said, a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. When we honor him, when we honor God, God honors us. I'm reminded of the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story. When King Nebuchadnezzar said, you will bow, and these boys stood up and said, look, we just can't do it. We want to honor, because the Bible says to honor those that are in authority over you. Listen to me, guys. If we ever get to a place in this country, which I don't believe we will, but if we ever do, if we ever get in a place in this country where we're cho- we're, we have to choose between honoring the country or honoring the law or honoring our government over God, you better make the right choice. And they said, look, we've reached the line of demarcation, King Never. We can't do it. We're not going to do it. And he said, well, I'm going to throw you in the fire. Well, if you're feeling froggy. And they said to this, they said this, they said, even if, see, most people say that was a, most people think that was a statement of unbelief. I don't believe that. I believe it was such a statement of faith that they were not taunting him, but they wanted him to know, we believe this to such a degree that even if we die, we still ain't going to honor you. And King goes, 
I thought we throwed three. I mean, he just throwed him in there, and he done forgot how many men he throwed in there. I thought we throwed me three. And they said, we did. Well, why do I see four? When you and I honor God when it's tough, then when the fire comes, we won't be consumed. We won't even smell like it. Honor is a big, is a big deal. So at the end of this story, he says this. Verse 5, now he could do no mighty work there, except he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled. It's only a couple of times in the life of Jesus where he marveled. One time that I remember was uh, the centurion's servant. And he said, oh, Lord, you ain't got to come. You just speak the word. I understand authority. You just speak the word. And my servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled. And said, whoa, I ain't found nothing like this. This is some great. Guys, listen to me. Pay attention. This here's some great faith. But Jesus marveled because of their what? What is unbelief? I'm closing. What is unbelief? It's a rejection of truth. See, it's the little things that the enemy gets us to do and we don't see the end result and the nature of it. It starts with, I see you, Sarah, as in the flesh. And you do something or you don't do something or you don't return my call or you don't say something. And so I begin to get, there's, there's, there's temptation. Because you, 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 everybody in the room knows that the enemy's always trying to talk to you, right? If you don't believe it, then when you leave here and you start talking to some of your family, just call me back and let me know if the enemy's talking to you then. But he's always trying to talk to you. He's trying to talk to you through sometimes your family. He's trying to talk to you through your friends. He's trying to talk to you through the world. But sometimes he just plays, or he, he gets a video reel and he plays it in your mind. And so you don't do something, and then you don't do something else, and then you don't do something else. I don't even know what's going on with you, but he does all that. So I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, this video reel, high definition DVD starts playing in my mind with, you know, and it's always got more graphics in it than what actually happened. You know what I'm saying? You know what makes a movie a good movie? It pushes the limits just enough to where you can go, well, okay, you could jump a car from a moving car from another truck and land on another. You could probably do that. You know, it's just, you know, I guess you could dodge a bullet if you knew. You could, yeah. But when you, where it gets, where the train starts coming off the tracks is when it gets so unrealistic, it's ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? So the enemy brings his production coordinator in and he takes what happened and now he, he puts it on the big theater screen. And he's got a big budget. And so it's got all kind of CGI graphics in it. Well-paid actors. And he starts playing this thing out in your mind and it's a whole lot bigger and a whole lot worse than it happened. He starts playing this thing out. So what's the enemy trying to do? Because you can stop it. You can hit eject. He's trying to get me. He's trying to bait me. Everybody say bait. He's trying to bait me. What's he trying to get me to do? He's trying to get me to pick up that offense. Well, she didn't call you because she don't like you. She's not being responsible. Fill in the blank, whatever you want to say. So then I go, yeah, you know, that's right. She, she is. I mean, I've noticed they've been out a lot. You see where I'm going with this? And so I go, 
I reach my hand down there and I take that offense and now I'm done. I got it. What comes next? Now I begin to dishonor and I don't trust her. I don't honor her. And as a result, now what? What leads? What is that saying? I don't trust you. I don't trust what comes out of your mouth. I don't trust what you do. So now I am an unbeliever of Sarah Gurr. I'm not really. See, the enemy comes and he lies to us and he says, did Jesus really say that by your stripes you will be healed? Because after all, if he knew, if, he, if you were healed, then he would have never put you through this. You see how he's feeding? He's feeding lies. Number one, God ain't put you through nothing. Sometimes it was you. Let's just be honest. Sometimes it's us. We make the decision to put ourselves in situations. But he's lying. What's the end result? What's he trying to get us to do? He's trying to get us to reject the very nature of God's truth in our life. Faith is a firm persuasion. Faith is not the substance of things hoped for. Faith gives substance to things that you're hoping for. It is. Your faith is the substance of those things that you believe for, right? Am I right? It gives substance. What is the very nature of faith? The very nature of faith is an acceptance of truth. Or, let me say it to you this way, it is an acceptance of knowledge. Biblical faith is an acceptance of truth. It is something that you and I simply believe. So if he says the just shall live by faith, what is he saying? He's saying the just shall live and govern their lives. What they think, what they say, and what they do according to what they believe. Not what they feel, what they believe. So the nature of unbelief is a rejection and that's what he's trying to get us to do. He's trying to get me so familiar with Casey that I begin to reject the truth that comes from Casey because I know Casey. I mean, I've been around him, spent some time with him, a lot of time with him. I know Casey. So when he speaks truth to me, now the enemy wants me to reject that truth and he uses a plan of action to reject the truth. Ultimately, I'm not rejecting Casey. I'm rejecting the Spirit of God within Casey. Listen, guys, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. They didn't know that. They were wrestling against flesh and blood. They couldn't get past the fact that Jesus was the son of a carpenter. They couldn't move beyond that. And as a result, he could do nothing in, our life, in their life. Don't you and I do that. See, we think, well, I would never reject Jesus. Really? Have you ever rejected an elder? Have you ever rejected a fellow believer? Jesus said, if you do this to the least of these, you do it unto me. You ever heard the uh, verse in uh, the Old Testament? It's uh, one of the prophets that touch not God's anointed. You ever heard that? You've heard that used when you start talking about these big evangelistic TV evangelistic people and people start talking bad about them. You go, oh. Touch not God's anointed. Well, what about your neighbor that's sitting right next to you that's a believer? Are they anointed? 
That puts a new light on things, don't it? If Jesus loves you just as much as he loves me, just as much as he loves uh, worldwide TV evangelist ABC, then for you to talk about me carries the same weight and the same level as if you talk about them. And if I reject the truth that is in you because I know you or because I'm offended at you or because I don't want to honor you, then I'm in unbelief. And the Bible says that faith is what moves mountains, not unbelief. Stand with me. Unbelief is untrustworthiness. It is an uncertainty. It is the lack of acknowledgement, listen, of someone's position and gifting. It is a want of confidence in their ability, in their gifts, and in their callings. Listen, guys, if you place your trust and your faith in me as a person, it's going to fail. If you place your faith and your trust in your wife or your husband in and of their flesh, it will fail. But those who trust in the Lord, come on somebody, will never be ashamed, will never be put to, put to naught. I'm going to close with this. We were reading this last night. And it just bears witness with my spirit to say. In Hebrews chapter 11, you go all the way down to the end of that chapter. And it talks about by faith they overcame. And in the very last two verses of that chapter, it says, All these things and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. See, they did, some of them didn't inherit, they didn't inherit the promise yet. Why? Well, I just, I just saw this for the first time. Because God, providing something better for us, wants us to be made perfect together. Now, verse 1 in chapter 12. Because you know the Bible wasn't written in chapter and verse. It doesn't break. To me, this doesn't break the thought process. And he says, therefore, since all that I just said, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does easily ensnare us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto who? Not me. Not the elders of this church. Not the person that's pouring his life into you or pouring her life into you. No, you got to look beyond that. You and I have to look beyond beyond that person. You have to look beyond me and see the Jesus in me in order to receive what God has. Let us look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God.
You want mighty works in your life. I want to do mighty works. We got to get past. We got to get past this Mickey Mouse stuff that we keep getting ensnared with. We do. The very people that should have accepted Jesus more than anybody else rejected him because they allowed their flesh, because they allowed the things that they saw from the natural to reject the truth that Jesus was bringing, and it didn't happen. But that's not us. It's not us. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I thank you for your truth. Lord, help us to see each other. No. Help us to see you, first of all, for who you really are and what you've really done for us. Then help us to see us for who we really are. Father, children of the Most High King, anointed, called of God, with no sin, able to stand before you without the sense of inferiority or judgment or condemnation of any sin, past, present, or future. Help us to see that reality. Then I ask you to help us see each other in that light and begin to relate to each other and call out the gifts in each other rather than the flaws of each other. Let us not be guilty of the, the, the town, the people in Jerusalem where Jesus went, his own hometown. Let us not be guilty of what they did. But let us rather see things through the eyes of the Spirit. Let us receive things with a heart of humility. No matter where they come from, truth is truth. And I ask that we all put on the cloak of humility and begin to receive from one another in a greater way than we ever have before. Let us not be guilty of those things in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Amen, amen. Casey, I throwed you under the bus a little bit. Why don't you come and dismiss us, would you? I want to honor you and ask you to pray for us and bless us and prophesy over us, whatever you want. Just close us out, brother. Father, we just thank you for this day. God, for, Lord, just allowing us, Lord, to just come together. Lord, just freely, just on our own will, Father, to just fellowship with one another, Father. Just fellowship with you, Father. Father, I pray, Lord, that you just let each and every one of us see others, Lord, the way you see us, Father. Help us, Lord, to, to see you in each other, Father. And to not just get hung up on the little things, Father, and not just... Lord, to, to know, Lord, that, that Lord, just, just to be on guard all the time and know that the enemy comes not to just, the only thing he comes to do is to kill, steal, and destroy. And Father, if any of these emotions, Father, any of these feelings come up, Father, we know it's not from you, Father. And I pray, Lord, we just get on top of our minds and on our flesh right then and just cast them down, Father. Lord, we renew our mind, Lord, in your word. And we, we're not confused. We're not conformed to this world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, Father.
Lord, we want to see people, Lord, the way you see them, Lord. We want to say things about people, Lord, that you say about them, Father. And we want to treat people the way we want to be treated, Father. And we just want to lift you up, Father, for you are the light of the world. And, Father, we just pray, Lord, that your light shines through us, Father, and reaches the uttermost parts of this earth, Father. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this message, Father. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, I thank you for our pastor. And, Father, I just pray a, a blessing upon him and his family, Lord God, that you just bless them, Lord, beyond their measure, Father, beyond their wildest dreams, Father. And we just give you the glory. We give you the honor and praise. And we just thank you, Lord, for this day, for this is the day that you have made. And we will rejoice. We will rejoice no matter what's going on, no matter what it looks like, no matter what we feel like, no matter what we think we feel like, we will rejoice and we will be glad in it. And we declare this this day and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.